0: Welcome to chapter two of the Clifford Still Museum's podcast, A Daughter's Voice. I'm Sarah Wombold. In chapter one, we talked about Clifford's family life. He was in and out of his children's lives a lot during Sandra's childhood. One such absence was between 1943 and 1945 when Clifford was teaching in Richmond, Virginia. It was during this time that Clifford's paintings became radically abstract. This moment would become really important not only to Clifford Still's trajectory as an artist, but also to art itself. Which is to say that while Clifford was one of the earliest innovators, he wasn't alone in this breakthrough to abstraction. There was a whole group of artists who were part of this change. Clifford Still, Jackson Pollock, Willem de Kooning, Robert Motherwell, Lee Krasner, and Mark Rothko.
1: I always thought that Rothko and Still met in Richmond, but I gather it really actually happened in San Francisco. They identified with one another. We're gonna change art. We have something to say. I think Dad thought he found a kindred spirit. And he always felt a few good men could change the world. So he got very fired up. Someone speaks my language. This was terrific. And Rothko told him, please, come to New York. Come, this is Mecca.
0: When he moves to New York, what
1: is still expecting to happen there? He thought he was entering a world of colleagues who were about the same thing he was and making great art. Meaningful, great art. And what he found were a gang of guys sitting around Cedar Bar getting drunk and talking about art that still was a dead end to begin with. Dadaism, surrealism, it could only go
0: so far. The work Still and Rothko and others created came to be known as abstract expressionism. In art historical terms, this was a major breakthrough, not just for painting, but also for the country. Before abstract expressionism, no art movement of worldwide significance had ever developed in the United States. Europe had long been considered the center of the art world, and this was all happening in New York City. By the time I reached 16 and spent that summer in New York,
1: I realized, that I needed to know my father through my eyes. I needed to understand him as a man and see if I could understand the art. He worked with pigment, boiled linseed oil, turpentine, and sailcloth. He was always using ochre almost as the base for things to go off of and around, Um, and that's not illustrating land. It's just an awareness that we are organic beings and he wanted to keep his roots. I'm human, I'm organic, and I want my work to relate to that. He went beyond the edge of the canvas. It's a larger world. It's freer. It's more personal. He made something spiritual and intelligent. It still overwhelms me.
0: Abstract Expressionism reached fever pitch in the 1950s. The first generation of AbEx artists had been very successful showing and selling their work. Critics were writing about the significance of the movement. And the next wave of AbEx artists were already riffing on what Still and Rothko and others had done. And Clifford, who was very much at the center of this fervor, removes himself incrementally from the New York art scene. He has several important one-person exhibitions with Betty Parsons Gallery and then leaves her gallery soon thereafter. He joins Sidney Janis Gallery and leaves almost immediately. He is included in a major exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art in New York in 1952, a relationship that goes completely sour, and then he doesn't show his work again in New York City for almost two decades. But despite his battles with curators, critics, art dealers, and even fellow artists, he continues to live and work in the city, and eventually brings his family to live with him in his studio on 23rd Street.
1: 128 West 23rd Street, Waka, four stories, I think. And he had the next to last uh, studio area. It's a whole whole space, open space. Not allowed to live there, but they did illegally. It was wonderful high ceilings. It smelled of art. The paint and the boiled linseed oil and turpentine. Dad call it cooking. That second or third day of drying is when it's most toxic. And we slept among that, and so it, it's wonder that all of us didn't have colon and cancer or some kind of cancer.
0: So it was a it was a family of four living in that studio for a short
1: period of time for one summer, when I was there, a couple of months, and then the winter of sixty sixty one. So that winter, Sieradzlaw Richter presented an all Beethoven program, and that was Dad's favorite. And Dad was so fired up he could stay seated. He was so excited. He said, it was like Beethoven returned in body. They looked so much alike, and it was such a force to hear in all Beethoven of his favorites, the appassionata. He was just, this is the way Beethoven should be played and performed. It was wonderful. And that's when I I realized how important Beethoven was to him. He was drunk on the music. He sat down and played the passionata himself, probably better than he ever had. He just had to do it too.
0: This is a recording from our archives of Clifford Still playing the piano.
1: Music was all around us all the time. Piano music, symphonies, music was always a presence in our household. And when we're trying to express the visual, we refer to music because people will accept music as not representing anything. The music is from within. It's notes, it's sound, but what you do with those sounds is changeable. And it's the same thing with paint and color. Think of color as musical notes. How do you play it? And emotions are expressed just visually, and Dad was able to equate the two. His was visual, but music is also to the soul, to the heart. One note can send you,
0: one flick of paint can send you elsewhere. That's the end of chapter two. If you're listening in the galleries, please return your headphones and pick up chapter three in the next gallery.